Anyway, um, I got up with everybody else in the morning and I just followed along. They answered questions and said hello and where they were from. And, and the girls who were the nicest to me were the ones from the prairies. And uh, But there weren't very many of us. Um, I can't... Uh, there were some girls going into into Eastern Air Command, but some of them were in another, like were two buildings for Eastern Air Command. One was a huge brick building about four stories high. And then there was a wooden building they built beside it. And that was mostly for stenos and pay clerks. And you know, there's a lot of paperwork. It's, after all, it's, uh, it's government. So there's lots of paperwork. And they were going in there, and I went in and went to the front desk at East Dirkman and said I was reporting in, I'd just been posted in, and I was working in BR Ops, they called it, Bomber Reconnaissance Operations, and I would be going to BR Ops. So they said, okay, just go up those stairs, you know, and turn left, and keep turning left, and you'll come to a service policeman sitting at a desk. So I got there and I got to know this man really well because he was always on shift when we were on shift and he was he was neat, nice guy. And he was married to a WD. And um, he said, I have to see your um, ID. I didn't have it. I'd left it in barracks. <laughs> I said, I don't have it. I mean, I looked in my purse and I said, I don't know why I did this, but I took it out and I put it in the uniform pocket that I had on the train. And of course, I'd had to put a clean uniform and a clean shirt on to go to work, you know. And he said, well, I can't let you in without it. You'll have to go back. And I said, how do I get back? And it was the longest streetcar ride, cost a nickel. And it was forever. I mean, it was a long, long way. And then when you got off the streetcar, then you walked, I'd say, a good half mile. Then I get to the station. Where's your ID? <laughs> and it's in there. And they took pity on me and they let me in. So I went and got my ID and went all the way back downtown. Get in. I don't have any trouble getting in now. So I walk into the hallway that's leading to the war room, and it's a like an eight, it's a long hall and then another long hall. And then I could see what this place was like that I was going to work, and my heart just about jumped out of my mouth because it was so like things you'd seen in the movies. It was so dramatic. It was a huge room. It was, uh, I'd say it was maybe 100 feet long and 50 feet wide. Like, that's a big room. And on one wall, and it was about three stories high. It was a huge two and a half to three stories high. And on one whole wall of this thing was a map. And on one side of it was from... Uh, I can't remember the north, no, well, north of Newfoundland, all the way down to Aruba in South America. And 
um, Sable Island off Halifax and um, down the St. Lawrence to Quebec and Montreal and then over to Greenland was way up there and we had that on there and Iceland and over to Prestwick, Scotland was as far as we went but no other part of Europe because Prestwick came out farther into the ocean but there were all kinds of things on there, arrows and stuff. That was the main thing that I saw that day. I'll tell you later about what else was there, but I went in and just walked down the steps into this room and there was a girl sitting at a typewriter there and she said, oh, are you Martin? And I said, yeah. And she said, well, you're gonna be working for Squadron Leader Wild and his, uh, shift is off for four days. <laughs> they just went off duty at eight o'clock this morning. So you don't have to come back for four days. It'll be at five o'clock in the afternoon, four days later, after all that. So I went on the streetcar all the way back. And I think I slept the whole day. I forgot to tell you that I had to go to breakfast before I went downtown. And I, the, one of the girls said to me, well, come on, you can come with me to go to, for breakfast if you like. And I said, well, I'm not quite ready yet. She said, well, I'll show you. You just, just follow. That's a great big mess hall. And you'll see people coming in and out with knives and forks in their breast pockets. <laughs> so um, I went down to breakfast. And I was really hungry by this time. And I walked, and of course, every second man was an officer because pilots and observers and a lot of the air crew automatically became a pilot officer when they graduated and they were going overseas. And they were young, I mean, 17 and 18. and. I had been taught to salute everything. <laughs> I saluted and they didn't salute back. A couple of them did, but you know, finally I thought, I'm not gonna salute and I'll see what happens. I never saluted. After that, I heard the girls told me, they hate saluting. They get so damn tired of it. I mean, they're coming up the hill and here come the WDs. Oh God, how could we miss them? Because. They'll be saluting and we'll be just lifting that arm up and down all the time because <laughs> they have to salute you back, you know. Anyway, I stopped this one guy who wasn't an officer and I said to him, can you tell me where the mess hall is? I mean, there's all these great big barrack block buildings down there and I couldn't figure out which one it was. He said, well, once you make this bend in the road, it's at the bottom of the hill and it's the building with the red roof. That man, I have never forgiven him. I turned that, made that turn, and every darn building down there had a red roof. <laughs> anyway, I finally got in there, and I didn't have any cutlery, so that's something else I had to line up for and sign for it. You had to sign for everything. So I got a knife, a fork, a soup spoon, and a small spoon, four items, and those were yours, and you kept them to yourself while you're there.
For breakfast, we had cereal, which was awful, like hot cereal, and like oatmeal, but it was, it wasn't very well done. It was gucky, and powdered milk, no sugar, and a piece of hardtack. And I had heard of hardtack, but I really didn't know what hardtack was. You could put hardtack. Girl showed me. She said, I'll show you how hard this is. She said, put it on the floor and stomp on it and you can hardly break it. She said, you soak it in your coffee. <laughs> That's what I, that was breakfast. And I thought, this is awful. I'm never going to be able to eat here. Um, but they were getting the guys used to going overseas, and that's what they were going to be eating over there, so that's what they got. The other meals weren't bad, you know, and there was lots. I mean, you never, if you wanted to go back up and get more, you could. You could eat till you were full, but sometimes you didn't want any of it. Um, anyway, I can't remember what I did for that four days, but I think I slept mostly, and I, they had movies at night. Um, anyway, I slept all that first day. I was so tired. And then somebody was shaking me and waking me up. And I woke up and the bright lights on all over the place. And there are not that many girls around. A lot of them are working shifts. You know, there's a lot of shift work in the Air Force. And, um, and she said, get up, you have to get up. And I said, oh God, I'm so tired. Never want to get up. And she said, you have to get up and go to the dance. I said, what dance? And she said, well, we have a dance here. And if you're not on duty, you go to the dance. And I said, what if you don't feel like it? And she said, you don't have a choice. She said, the service police women will come through and they'll make you go, unless you're really sick. And then they'll send you to sick bay and you'll be sorry. <laughs> so I said, I don't have anything to wear that's decent, you know. And she said, I've um, pressed your uniform, your good one. That was the one I had worn down on the train. I've pressed your uniform and your shirt collar is clean. And because uh, we wore shorts, shirts with detachable collars, we all hated to do laundry. So you'd wear a shirt for four or five days until you ran out of collars <laughs> and then you'd have to wash. But. Um, so I finally got ready and went down to the dance with her. And it was quite a walk. She was from Boston. I wish I could remember her name. We walked in the door of this huge rec hall with a big band playing. I don't remember who was playing that night. I walked in the door and I thought, I'm not going to be able to dance. I'm too tired to dance. I walked in the door and the first thing I heard was, Isabel. And I turned around and looked, and it was a boy who had been in my class at Gordon Bell School, and he was on the next draft. As a matter of fact, I think he left within a few days. But Don Bowes, his name was, and he had another boy there with him from Gordon Bell that I didn't know particularly. Uh, but they said, let's go into the coffee shop, you know? So there was a little coffee bar there. They didn't let you sit there very long. I was barely there and I was tapped on the shoulder and told by a policewoman, service policewoman, that I hadn't come 
to sit on the bench. I had come to dance. <laughs> anyway, so Dawn and, uh, said to me, look, um, why don't we meet here tomorrow at this little coffee shop thing? And he said, and we'll go downtown because we've got the day off tomorrow because our draft's going in a couple of days. And we'll go downtown, we'll get something decent to eat, which was thrilling to me. <laughs> and uh, so um, I danced that night. Oh, I was so tired when that dance was finished. But they had brought a bunch of girls in from downtown, civilian girls who, you know, volunteered to come. And you had to be, I found out after this, you had to be, like, sent by your church or your company. Like, it couldn't be prostitutes or anything like that. These had to be really nice girls. And they brought a lot of chaperones with them, too, who stood around, made sure that nobody danced too close or anything. And um, But you didn't get a chance to dance very far because you were always being tapped on the shoulder. The guy was, you know, cutting in. Cutting in was the thing. Because the guys wanted to dance, and so did I. Uh, but if you could jitterbug, and well, some of the guys were very good, very good, particularly if they were from Montreal or around that area, because jitterbugging had arrived there before it ever came out to the prairies. And uh, I didn't know very much about it, but I could follow, and it didn't take any time to catch on to it particularly if the guy was a strong leader and he was taller than you were. And I found myself doing things that I never dreamt of doing, like being swung from one knee of his to the other and then between his legs. <laughs> but if you started to jitterbug like that, the crowd would clear back and they'd watch and clap along with you. It was fun. It was really a lot of fun to do that. So I didn't mind what they called the volunteer dances. <laughs> anyway, uh, I, we met, I met Don Bowes the next day and he had another kid from Gordon Bell that I did know and I can't remember his name now and the boy I'd met the night before. And they would have taken me, they wanted to take me into the officer's mess, but I couldn't go and they said, don't you have any civilian clothes with you? And I said, yeah, the ones I wore to Manning Depot. They said, well, just put those on and we'll take you into the... I said, are you kidding? You know, I couldn't do that. I mean, somebody will squeal on me or they'll see me coming. And anyway, I said, we've got service policemen patrolling around our building all the time. I mean, there's only four doors and there's two guys walking around that building all the time making sure that nobody's trying to get in. And I mean, we were... We were protected, you know. So we went downtown and Halifax was so old and so dirty. And um, from the big bomb blast they'd had in the First War, a lot of the buildings had never been repaired. They're big buildings with bricks still falling off them. And um, you could see a lot of scarred buildings from that, what must have been just awful. And there was a big military hospital there called Gottagen Hospital, and it was a terrible yellow stucco big building, and half the stucco had fallen off one side, and it had never been repaired. 
But uh, I really wasn't thrilled with Halifax when I first went there. I grew to really love it later on. You know, in the summer it was beautiful, but in the winter it was awful. Navy people from every country in the world and all in different uniforms, you know. American Navy, um, French Navy, they were fascinating. They had these tams with red tassels on the top and blue and white cross here, cross their middies. They were really quite charming. <laughs> um, and a lot of um, merchant men, merchant seamen, you know, guys who couldn't make it into the regular service for either a medical reason or whatever. One boy I went to school with was in the Merchant Navy and I met him while I was there too. And there were Merchant Navy, I'll tell you about this later, but it strikes me now how when I heard about this, I felt was sick. You could, you'd see three or four guys walking down the street and they'd be all dressed in white. And the first time I heard what they were, I said to somebody, who were those guys? And they said, they're survivors. They've been on a merchant ship that's been sunk and they've survived and they haven't been reissued uniforms. They haven't got a uniform of their own country here. So they were wearing white and they'd be like black and tan and, you know, European mostly. And that really struck me that I thought, oh my God, they've been in the water and it's cold. And 